Welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast, your monthly source for conversations and curated content to improve your law practice with your host, Rocky Deer. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Rocky Deer. I am the CEO of Atlas Legal Research in Dallas and a proud member of the State Bar of Texas. I'm also honored to be the host of the State Bar of Texas podcast. You know, it always cracks me up when lawyers say that there's no right or wrong answer to something. Because as Texas lawyers, you know, we often have clients coming to us expecting a definitive answer. And so, well, we often equivocate, albeit with good reason sometimes. Every year at this time is one of those times. There truly is no right or wrong answer because we as Texas lawyers have to vote for our next president-elect. And the folks at the state bar, they make our jobs really hard because they give us exceedingly qualified candidates and give us a real conundrum. Some would call that a rarity in modern democracies, not knowing who to vote for, but hey, I digress. We have a good problem here in the state of Texas. Well, today we will aim to make your job as a voter a better informed one, even if we don't make it any easier to make your choice. So with that, welcome to the first of two candidate forums for the 2022 State Bar of Texas President-Elect Election. I'm joined by our two superlative candidates, Cindy Tisdale of Granbury and Joe Escobedo of Edinburgh. Both have been conducting campaigns to become the next president-elect of the State Bar of Texas, and this forum, ladies and gentlemen, is an opportunity for Texas lawyers to meet their candidates. Now, it's no secret, we've been in the middle of a pandemic, and in this pandemic era, it's been difficult for Cindy and Joe to conduct the traditional in-person meetings in our respective cities that we've all been used to, but we're excited to be able to offer this virtual forum, so thank you for joining us. Among other topics today, we'll be asking the candidates about the practice of law, the governance of the State Bar of Texas. And those of you watching can submit your own questions by using the Zoom Q&A feature. We'll get to them as time allows. This forum will be one hour, and we want to get through as many questions as we can. So candidates will have up to two minutes to answer each question. Candidates, you you got your two minutes. And we'll start with introductions. Joe and Cindy, would you each take about a minute to introduce yourselves? And this is Texas. We still do believe in chivalry. So, Cindy, we'll start with you. <laughs> Thank you, Rocky. I appreciate it. And hi, Joe. Good to see you again. We were both in Lubbock yesterday. So um, I'm Cindy Tisdale. I'm a family law attorney in Grainberry. I'm also of counsel with a firm in Midland, Lynch Chapel and Ossip. So I take a lot of cases out in Midland. It's only a four-hour drive, not that big of a deal. Um, I've practiced for 27 years, and the vast majority of that is in family law. When I started my practice, uh, or started right after law school, I worked for the district attorney's office in McLennan County, and I did their civil dockets, CPS work, protective orders, things of that sort. Went into private practice in 1997, and I've been a solo practitioner since 1999. Uh, you know, I... Have uh, I've got to say a little bit about my family, just so you know me and who I am. I have a son that is at 2L at Baylor Law School. Uh, I don't know if he's following in my footsteps, but he's decided to be a lawyer. I have a daughter that she is 21 and a junior at TCU in nursing, and I'm very proud of both of them. I want to thank everybody uh, involved with this program here because I think it's important that people vote. We have the right to vote. You should vote. And I would love to see our numbers go up. Um, I am, I, I know we're going to get into questions later. I'm not going to get into too much of my background because I'm sure Rocky's going to ask us about that. But I want to thank you all for the opportunity to run. I am privileged and humbled beyond belief and so honored to be here. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Cindy and Joe. Your turn. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, th- thank you. Thank you, Rocky, for being, uh, for, for allowing me to be here and for setting this process up. As Cindy mentioned, uh, we were in Lubbock yesterday, which uh, for those of you all that know where, where Edinburgh is and where Lubbock is, that's really far away, <laughs> which means I had to get up really early today to, 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 be, to get back to my office to be able to do this, but I'm, but I'm happy to be here. Um, I have my, my practices in Edinburgh, Texas, primarily a, a tort litigation practice. I also do some, some mediations. I've uh, been practicing for 33 years, started off as a uh, insurance defense lawyer, then left that after about five years, became a plaintiff's lawyer. We now, I now I kind of have a plaintiff's lawyer, I'm a plaintiff's lawyer and do some defense work as well. And I do have a mediation practice, a very active mediation practice, which at some point when I stop, when I stop having fun as a trial lawyer, I'll, I'll become a, hopefully become a full-time mediator. 
I've been practicing for 33 years. I've been, been married for 33 years or going on 33 years, which makes it really nice to remember how many years I've been married. If, if you get married in the same year, you've got a license. I have uh, two wonderful daughters and four wonderful grandsons and a granddaughter on her way. Uh, we're very excited about that. Um, and you know, as far as experience, we'll, I'll talk more about that in, in a minute. I served on the board of directors as a director and as a chair. I currently serve on the Texas Bar, the board for the Texas Bar Foundation, and I'm a commissioner for the Texas to Access, Ju- Access Justice, uh, Texas Access to Justice. Uh, extremely proud and, and humbled to be here as well, and, and, and very excited to to answer these questions today. Well, Joe, that's and and thank you for that. First of all, let's let's talk to each of you, and Joe, we'll start with you about. <laughs> Why the heck do you want to serve as, as president of the State Bar of Texas? It's it's a lot of hard work. So, you know, why do you want this job? And if elected, what would be your priorities? So that's the probably the single most popular question that Cindy and I are asked every time we enter a, a lawyer's uh, a lawyer's office or just visit or go to some conference. Um, a little bit about myself to probably to put that in perspective. Um, very come from very humble beginnings. The joke in my house growing up with my mom and my dad was my, my mom would say that she was the smartest of the two because she went to fifth grade. My dad only went to third grade. But what they lacked in education, they more than made up in, in, in the values that they instilled in myself and, and, and my sisters. And I've taken those values to heart. And, and so basically what I, the, the, the true answer is, and it might sound a little bit cliche, but this profession has given me everything uh, that I have. Um, including my lovely wife. We met, I was in law school, she was an undergrad. And just running for this position, it's a natural progression. You know, somebody asks you, hey, why don't you run for director? And you say, okay. Hey, why don't you run for chair? You say, okay. Hey, why don't you uh, interview to see if you can get be for president-elect? Um, so it is. there is some of that, but the reality of it is the true. the true answer is it's just my way of giving back. As far as the question relating to what would I do as, as president-elect, uh, and we can talk this a little bit more when we talk about the issues, but to me, the single most important issue is, is our ability to keep our self-governance. We find, I, I believe that the bar is at a crossroads right now, and we that is a, an important issue, the most important issue, which I believe we need to keep. And I was talking to a young lawyer yesterday in Lubbock, and, and he's like, we need to get rid of the bar. I says, well, what are we going to replace <laughs> it with? And he wasn't really, uh, didn't really have a good answer for that. And, and I think we need, as a bar, we need to do a better job though. I asked him, who's your director? Why don't you, why don't we talk to him about some of your issues? And he had no idea who his director was. So as a bar, we need to uh, reach out to our, our constituents better. But the, to answer your question, the single most important issue, as, as I see it, uh, if, I, if I were to be lucky enough to, to get this position, is to keep our ability to govern ourselves. We do not want somebody else governing. We do not want somebody else de- dealing with us, dealing with grie- grievous issues against us. We want lawyers to govern lawyers. And that's that's what I believe the single most important issue is facing the bar today. Cindy, what about you? W- why the heck do you want this job? And, and, and what do you think are the most important issues that, that would face you as president? That's a long question. And I, I agree with Joe. <laughs> Everywhere we go, that's the first question anybody asks is, why do you want this job? Um, and either people congratulate us or they give us condolences one way or the other. But why I want this job, um, to be perfectly honest with you, I like helping lawyers. I have, if you look at my years of service, I have served in just about every role uh, that you can in the bar. I love being a lawyer. I, I love practicing law. And I hate it that other attorneys don't love the law as much as I do and love practicing law. I am a solo practitioner. I understand the issues of having to make payroll every month, of having to run a business every month, um, of, of doing your volunteer service and still actually trying to practice law and do that. Um, you know, I think the state bar should help make our jobs easier. And that, that's the role of the state bar, in my opinion. And that's what I want to do. You know, we, we help people. I help people in times when their marriages are ending. We have other lawyers helping uh, people upon the death of a loved one if they're on an estate issue or helping companies or helping an accused of a crime or, or helping prosecute that accused. 
um, in helping society. So in all, all ways, we're all helping people. And the state bar then should in turn help lawyers to help make your job easier to help those people. And, um, that's what I want to be a champion for. I want to be a champion for lawyers and helping you in your job. The second part of that question was um, the important issues facing the bar. The priorities, I could, yes. Yeah, priorities. I could not agree more with Joe. Our first priority is maintain our status as an independent, self-regulating bar. I can't imagine the consequences if we're not. Who wants to be ruled by the legislature or an agency? Who wants no benefits from your bar, and more than likely, all of your bar, your dues to go up and pay more money. Whenever, you know, I gave a speech one time, and, and just a little aside, and it was on what the state bar does for you. I'll never forget it. It was in Midland. And there was a gentleman sitting at the back, arms crossed, scowl on his face. And uh, I told him, I picked him out. I said, you, I want to ask you at the end of the speech, if I've taught you anything about your bar you didn't know. He was like, you got it. You're on. So I gave my speech. And at the end, I asked him, I said, did I teach you anything about your bar you didn't know? And he sat there for a second. He said, you know, you actually taught me a lot. The, the bar does a great job of communicating. We need to do a better job. We can't make people open their emails. But getting that one-on-one -on -one communication with lawyers, letting them know what their bar does, I think that's a big issue. So the McDonald case, I'm not going to go through all that, but that's the most important thing we're looking at. I think communicating with our members and making sure it's direct, concise communication with our members is also an important uh, thing that the bar is facing and needs to do. Well, and actually, I wanted to turn next. We're going to switch gears just a little bit because we have a question from from the audience. And so I wanted to turn to that and give you guys a chance to answer a direct question from one of the voters. So here's the question is that, you know, the State Bar of Texas, we have a website that allows us to post ads for lawyer candidates for job openings. And this particular person says, I've used it several times. Why is it so expensive? Can we consider lowering the fees so we can get lawyers who are seeking a job to get more postings from Texas law firms? So I'm going to give you guys a second to kind of digest that. Cindy, we're going to go with you first and give you a chance to maybe tackle that question. Absolutely. A good question. My gut reaction is absolutely. Why not look into that? Again, if the state bar is to help lawyers, um, I understand that the Texas Bar Journal costs money to to publish, and I'm not going to talk about the budget Uh right now because I'm not in that position to know about that, but, and I don't know how much it cost, but if there's any way that we can help lawyers and if that is decreasing the cost of an ad to help find lawyers and find employment for lawyers, then that's definitely something we should look at. Um, I was asked the question um, on this campaign tour with Joe of slashing our budget. We need to slash our budget by at least 5%, 10%. And my answer was respectfully, no. If there's programs out there that help lawyers like this program, then we should be doing everything we can to help those lawyers. And if there's something though out there that we that doesn't work, then that's where we should be slashing. Is that something that we should look into is reducing the cost of putting those ads uh, out for employees and for attorneys to find employment? Absolutely. Okay, perfect. Joe? Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Uh, and in fact, we looked into this when I when I was on the steering committee of the Texas Minority Council Program, which is part of a, a, a fantastic program that, that that the bar puts together. We 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 when I was when I first heard about this particular problem, we 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 do need to fix it. One of the ways we can fix it, um, so I completely agree, we need to fix it. One of the ways we can fix it is we need to get these uh, these potential employers to subsidize. Uh, th that part of the process. That's what that's what's typically done. You know, uh, when you hear these these commercials for things like Indeed, uh, the, you have these big employers who pretend. In this case, it would be law firms, or it could be obviously it could be corporations as well. Uh, if you, they're if people, lawyers that are contemplating going in house, they we need to look into getting them to subsidize that service so that it does not cost. The Texas lawyers, it's not an exorbitant amount of money to use that service. It's a wonderful service. And as one of the, one of the wonderful services that the bar provides, and I'm, I'm so happy that this, this, the person that asked this question is aware of the service, but we do need to lower the cost. And one of the ways that we were looking into doing that, uh, and, and we still, and we need to institute that is we need to get perhaps one of the ways is to get, get the potential employers 
whether they be law firms or whether they be companies to subsidize that because they're getting the benefit of that as well. Obviously, the benefit that they're getting is they're getting a lawyer, a very qualified lawyer as a new employee. So I absolutely agree that that it's a wonderful service that the bar provides. But to the extent that it, it's it's an exorbitant amount of money, we need to do everything we can to to lower that. And, and I'm sure that there's other solutions that, that we can look into that into that. But perhaps one solution is to get the, the employers to to subsidize some of that uh, amount that that right now is being charged to uh, Texas, Texas lawyers. Uh, so, yes, absolutely agree with that. So here's here's the good news that from, from my vantage point is you guys you guys both seem to have a great relationship with one another. Yes, your your opponents in this race. But there seems to be a lot of mutual respect, which is always wonderful to see. And there seems to be some convergence in your in what you agree on, you know, in terms of things that you think need to be addressed and resolved. One of the questions we're getting, though, is to distinguish yourself from your opponent. In other words, what position do you hold on a particular issue concerning the bar that differs from the position of your opponent? So let's talk about maybe where there may be some differences of opinion, respectfully, of course. So, Joe, we'll start with you. What do you think is something that you would differ from Cindy on? I mean, certainly on the larger issues, I think you're going to see a, a convergence of opinions. I mean, uh, when it comes to issues like self-governance, when it comes to issues to like, like access to justice, I think the reality of it is we're, you're going to see that convergence of opinions because, number one, Cindy and I are friends, and we, we, we have similar backgrounds when it comes to the bar, and we also know how, how important it is to be careful in, in if whoever's going to be leading this bar going forward, how important it is, because as a result of the McDonald decision, which I'm sure will be part of a question, we need to be just very careful. So I'm trying to answer your question as far as particular issues that, that we really do diverge. I don't know if there is, um, you know, I, uh, and I'm being, I'm trying to just be, I'm being very particularly honest, very honest. And um, I mean, I think that where we differ a little bit is, uh, the, I mean, I, I think my my base of support is a little broader than hers, but that's not really difference in issues. Uh, I think we are we're going to be the same in some of the issues. I'm I'm struggling to think of a, a one where we really really dis- disagree. We we we're both um, I believe are uh, we're going to be on the same page when it comes to certainly on the self governance. You already t- you already heard both of us talk about that. And and I think we're probably both both going to be on the same page when it comes to access to justice. I'm I'm a uh, think I'm a big supporter of access to justice. Where I'm sure that's going to be a question that's going to come up. So I mean I know I Rocky I know I don't think I really answered your question uh, and and it was a really good question, but I don't know if there's really any big issues that that it's certainly not big issues. There might be little issues here and there that we disagree on, uh, but I, I think that's the honest answer that I give you. Cindy, what about you? And, and that's a great question. I think Andrew asked it, and that's a good question. You know, a, the problem with the campaign and the way it runs is we don't have a debate. We don't, you know, so Joe might have some beliefs of where the bar should go that I don't know about and, and vice versa. Um, I can tell you, you know, I know Joe's been a leader in the bar, uh, but so have I. My my history of leadership, I've been chair of the state bar board of directors I was chair of the, of the Texas Bar Foundation. I've been chair of the family law section. Um, I've been chair of different family law organizations. But, you know, as far as uh, leading attorneys and helping attorneys, this is one bar. I'm, I am a family lawyer. I'm not in this just to help family lawyers. I'm in this to help every attorney. That's, that's the job of the president to be the state, the face of the bar. And the bar is made up of 108,000 plus lawyers. Um, and that, isn't that astonishing? 108,000 <laughs> lawyers. I know that's insane. And so do we have difference of opinion? Um, you know, we talked about access to justice or Joe did. I, I believe that every attorney should help out. And that is our duty is to help our community. Absolutely. Um, I don't know Joe's opinion on this. So I'm not saying this is his opinion, but I also don't think it's the bar's position or place though to mandate someone donate their time and do pro bono work. I think it's amazing when we do, um, but I don't think it should be mandated. Um, I'm a member of the pro bono college. I do pro bono work. But um, that's my personal decision to make. And again, I'm not trying to say that Joe thinks otherwise, because again, under unfortunately, under this um, kind of dynamic that we're doing, we don't have debates uh, of what 
the differences are in our opinions. So uh, I think if someone wants to look at our differences, I know we both have our resumes are all over the internet. Uh, and, and Joe and I have both put ourselves out there and being accessible to attorneys and we'll answer any questions. But I think you look at our, our past and our leadership capabilities and what we've been interested in in helping lawyers. And that's, that's where, you, where you're going to see where we're going to go in the future. It's interesting. You both brought up the McDonald litigation and the self-governance. So, you know, for catching everybody up, that case has been appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, and we're actually waiting to see if the court will take that case. Now, Cindy, we'll start with you. Have you been following that litigation? And what are your impressions about the implications for the State Bar of Texas from that particular case? Absolutely. I've been following it. I think every attorney should be following it because it it's dealing with our future. It's dealing with our livelihood. It's dealing with with what we are. Um, and for those of, the, of you that don't know, Rocky kind of explained it a little bit, but the state bar was sued under several different theories. Um, it went to the, the courts. The uh, state bar was granted summary judgment, went to the Fifth Circuit. They remanded on a few issues, and the state bar has come into compliance. That's a thumbnail version. Um, the, the other side filed a petition for cert with the U.S. Supreme Court. The state bar has filed um, its brief. Everything's been done. We're just waiting to hear from the Supreme Court. So that's kind of the thumbnail sketch of the background. Um, the difference is if, if the plaintiffs get their way and we're no longer a mandatory bar, you have to sit and think, what's that going to look like? You might be sitting out there going, oh, well, good. I don't have to pay bar dues anymore. Our bar dues are $235 a year, and it hasn't been raised in 30 years. Let that sink in. What other organization hasn't raised dues or rates in that amount of time? And let's look at the benefits attorneys get. Um, every, you know, I'm not even going to go forward, but let's look at Fast Case. And they just started the new program where you can get the briefs. That alone is worth $235 a year. The problem is if if the plaintiffs win and we're no longer a mandatory self-regulating bar, we do not have self-discipline. We do not have self-regulation. There's going to be another agency out there that's going to be regulating us, disciplining us, running us, deciding how much our dues are. If any, um, the sections will be voluntary at that point. We'll no longer have any state bar sections. There's a lot of things that are going to trickle down if that happens. And for those of you thinking that might be a good idea, I want you to really think about the consequences if that happens. Okay. Thank you, Cindy. And Joe, what about you? Tell us about your impressions of McDonald and what it means moving forward. Sir, and I agree with Cindy. I mean, we, we certainly have been following it. Um, and I suggest that every Texas lawyer read it. I suggested that to that young lawyer in, in Lubbock that I was having that conversation with. He had not read it, but I, but I, I sent him a copy of it. And and it's it's all it's important because we have now it, McDonald was a lawsuit by three by three Texas lawyers against the against the bar because they were they don't like the fact that the the and it's a mandatory bar we have an integrated bar everybody has to be a member obviously and I completely understand that some people may may have issues with their bar dues being used with something they disagree with uh, but but what we, what we now have is in, in in the McDonald's decision, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, we have a, we have essentially a roadmap as to what we what the bar needs to do to make sure that we're we're only dealing with matters that are germane to the practice of law, and 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 that, that's why I suggest that everyone read this this opinion. Um, the the thing one of the for example access to justice. I am. I am. That's one of my issues. I believe, and I and I certainly, and, and we're we're, both, we're in agreement on this. I don't think the pro bono hour should be mandated, but I certainly believe that that it, it's something that should be an interest to all Texas lawyers. That that not only those those people that can afford our retainers or our, to pay our hourly fees should be should be able to access lawyers. And and if you look at the Thrift Circuit opinion in, in McDonald relating to access to justice, it very very much said that to the extent the bar is supporting access to justice activities for helping low income Texans that to access legal services, that that is germane. So they they also talked about the 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 bar's uh, diversity efforts that that was germane. Then there was issues obviously where they held that it wasn't germane, and 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 so now the bar has a choice. 
given given the the Fifth Circuit Court of, uh, opinion, what what do we need to do? And the court gives sets out three choices. Uh, I only like the first one. And that's what the bar is doing. And because I believe in a mandatory bar, I believe in an integrated bar. I believe that it benefits Texas lawyers, it benefits Texas courts, and it benefits the public to have an integrated bar. So we have a choice. And the choice that the bar is doing is we're, is we're, we're basically focusing on what is germane. We're, and, 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 and if anything is not germane, we're not going to do it. The bar is just not going to get involved with it. Um, so we have a roadmap. And I think it's important to use it. Completely understand that they've, 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 there's now a, a cert before the U.S. Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court has asked for briefing. I understand this Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is, uh, may not be the end of the road, but it still provides, as of right now, provides a pretty good roadmap. And that's why I believe that every Texas lawyer should read it, because it's important to be able to keep our right to self-governance, if you, to understand what that opinion holds. Before we continue our conversation with State Bar President-elect candidates Cindy Tisdale and Joe Escobedo, we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. The Texas Lawyers Assistance Program provides confidential help for Texas lawyers, law students, and judges who have problems with substance use and mental health issues. TLAP offers 24-7 confidential support and can connect you to peers and providers for assistance. TLAP can also connect you to the Sheeran Crowley Lawyer Wellness Trust, which provides financial help to Texas lawyers, law students, and judges who need treatment for substance use, depression, and other mental health issues but can't afford to pay for services. Call or text TLAP anytime at 1-800-343-8527. And we're back with our two State Bar of Texas President-elect candidates, Cindy Tisdale and Joe Escobedo. Joe, you bring up, and actually, Cindy, you have as well, this issue of what the state bar should and shouldn't mandate. And so this question of of having a state bar, the regulation of the state bar, and what it can and cannot or should and should not mandate. Let's talk for a moment about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what role you believe the state bar should play and can play when it comes to the issue of diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, what should be mandated, what shouldn't be, and what role can the state bar play in kind of helping Texas lawyers through that. So Joe, we'll start with you and then Cindy, it'll be your turn. Joe? Sure. As far as mandates, um, and I don't think that was, uh, there's ever been a discussion about any particular DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion mandates by the bar. But but I, I, I do think that it's important to realize that the, the Fifth Circuit in McDonald clearly held that, that look, we, we understand that some people might have a difference of opinion when it comes to the bars, diversity, equity, inclusion efforts. But they, they found in McDonald that, that, it, that it was germane to the practice of law. And, and let me just be very, very upfront. I mean, I, I, would, I don't think I would be here uh, if it wasn't for diversity and inclusion efforts by the bar, uh, by, by, the, by the university that I went to, by the, by the, by the, by the law school. And I, I have been, I'm here because of those efforts. Um, and I think a lot of lawyers are where they at because of those efforts. So I, I, I laud them. I, I think that there's something that should be applauded. Um, and we have some wonderful, we have some wonderful uh, diversity inclusion. I was on the steering committee for the Texas Minority Council Program. It is a wonderful program that the, that the bar puts, for, puts together. And every, every time we had our conference every year, I left that conference just just really feeling that we had done so much good for Texas lawyers. So so I that's my position on, on diversity, equity, inclusion. I again completely understand the McDonald decision might not be the end of the road on on that on that issue, but right now the law that we have in front of us is the McDonald opinion and it clearly states that the bar's DEI efforts are germane to the practice of law. And, and so I believe that the bar should continue those efforts. But, but as far as any kind of mandates, um, I, I, I don't think we've ever gotten into those kind of mandates. And, and, and just lastly, I've been speaking to a lot of law firms, a lot of large law firms, and all those law, large law firms have DEI principles in their, in, in their firms. It's a good thing for, for law firms and, and for the bar to, to, to be more inclusive. I mean, that's, that's certainly my opinion. Cindy, how about you? DEI and the state bar. What are your views on the role the state bar should or can play when it comes to that issue? Sure. I, you know, of course it's important. I, um, the state bar should not mandate 
implicit bias training. The state bar should not mandate um, CLE on DEI for attorneys. But is it important for attorneys to have that training? I think so. I mean, it's important as personally, but the state bar, that's not the business of the state bars to mandate it. Uh, absolutely, I agree with that. The, um, you know, if you look at, oh, for example, um, the J.L. Turner in, in Dallas or the Mexican American Bar Association, there are some great leaders, attorney leaders in all of these organizations. Why aren't we tapping into those organizations? Why isn't the state bar trying to tap those, tap those leaders and get them involved in the bar? Um, you know, I think that, that could be a good pipe, pipeline for the worst, for lack of a better term. But we've got, there's great, uh, minority leaders, be it, uh, uh, all over Texas. And we just have to tap into that. But again, as far as the efforts of the state bar is concerned, I know now we have um, a director at large instead of minority director, things of that sort. And the state bars had to change up kind of the things we do. But if you look at the mission statement of the state bar, it um, the last line is the state bars to promote the diversity in the administration of justice and the practice of law. Okay, I don't know how many attorneys are on this uh, webinar but probably every single one has a different definition of what that means. And I have my own definition of what that means, that we promote diversity in the administration of justice and the practice of law. Joe might have a different uh, definition. I think, honestly, that's going to come down to the Supreme Court. The Fifth Circuit right now says that's germane. That's within our 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 realm or the borrowed realm is to, to do that and to maintain that diversity. We're going to have to see what comes down from the Supreme Court. But again, it's something that should be encouraged, but not mandated. Here's maybe a way to, to look at a different question when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion from a totally different angle. And that has to do really with the TYLA. You know, for, so for those of us lawyers, <clears throat> nobody's ever surprised when I tell them I have aged out of the TYLA. <laughs> that never shocks anybody. But for those of us who have practiced longer than 12 years or, or are no longer members of the Texas Young Lawyers Association, should we be allowed to vote in TYLA elections? What are your thoughts on that? Cindy, let's start with you. And you say, well, should we vote? Should, should we be allowed to vote? Should we be allowed to vote if we're not? I think the rule now is, or another rule is, you have to be uh, practicing 12 years or less to be a member of TYLA. Um, there's no age requirement. I don't think so. And I'll tell you, tell you why. The TYLA, um, we're looking at attorneys, young attorneys. Now, they might not be young in age. <laughs> there might be attorneys that have gone back later in life, but young attorneys. And those young attorneys are going to be the voice for other young attorneys. And, uh, uh, you know, the state, if you look at um, the State Bar Act, it dictates who's going to be on the state bar board. And it specifically states that the TYLA president-elect, president, and immediate past president are on our board. We have no choice. That's it. But TYLA, I think if we have to open it up and those TYLA representatives have to be voted on by the entire state bar, that's going to change the face of TYLA. That's going to make things uh, put so much burden on them to to campaign to listen to all of us, things of that sort. And TYLA, let's get, let's get real. They are the workhorse of the bar. I don't know if you look at their website, if you read what they're doing, they are the absolute workhorse in the service arm of the bar. Um, and they do so much good for us. You look on their website. I don't know if, if you have looked on it recently. Go look. You're going to be amazed at what all they do and what good they do. And the problem is, Young attorneys need a voice on our bar, period. And if you put a three-year lawyer against a 30-year lawyer running as director, that 30-year lawyer is automatically going to have more contacts, more colleagues. Who do you think is going to be able to reach more attorneys, the three-year lawyer or the 30-year lawyer? And I think young lawyers should have a voice on our bar board. Thank you, Cindy. Joe, what's your view on this? Should lawyers who have been practicing more than 12 years be allowed to vote in TYLA elections? Uh, no, uh, would be my view. Uh, it seems like this is a, a solution in search of a problem. 
Um, TY, I completely agree with Cindy as far as TYLA. When I was on the board and I would watch, and when I was share of the board as well, when, when I would watch that, that TYLA president and, the, and president-elect come and give their reports, I was exhausted just listening to them. They are, they are the service arm of the bar. They are, and, and they do incredible, incredible work. And I, I, if I have the honor to be president, like I will support TYLA and as, as it is structured today. Um, the, it got recently, you know, it got, the adjustment was recently made to the 12 years practice that takes into, that takes into consideration, I think, Compensates for second, perhaps lawyers that have some second careers and start and started a little later than than somebody that went straight to law school. But the structure, as is dictated by the State Bar Act, is the structure that we have today. It is a structure that the board approved. TYLA leadership deserves a a a a, a place on the board. I would not support um, in any change to that as far as as older lawyers that have been able to 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 run for TYLA positions to challenge younger lawyers uh, again i think it's it, it's it's sort of a solution in search of a problem uh, it, the way we have it right now works really really well and those young lawyers those leaders from the TYLA provide an incredible service uh, to the board as well and the the, the work they do while while doing the reports and and the work they do on the board, the the, the big board, not not just their board, they have, they have the TLA has their own board, but the bo- the work they do on the on the on the on the board of directors is incredible. So no, I would not be in favor of of what you of that what the question proposes. Let's switch gears for a moment and talk a little bit about ethics and grievances, which is another big aspect of what we do, you know, as a state bar. One question that's popped up is about the the burden of proof and the standard for grievance procedures. Now, currently in Texas, the burden of proof is on the Commission for Lawyer Discipline, and it has to be proven by a preponderance of the evidence. So, Joe, we'll start with you on this question. Do you still agree with the preponderance of the evidence standard, or should we be going to a different standard? maybe clear and convincing or something else. So let's, let's maybe talk about that, that grievance procedure and what do you think about that burden of proof and that, that standard? Thank you, uh, Rocky. I, I think the standard is, is appropriate. The uh, moving to a clear and convincing standard, uh, I mean, as Texas lawyers, we're familiar with that standard. It's a standard that, that uh, in Texas is, is essentially for gross neglect. And I, I think that if you, you change the standard, you, 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 May provide or, or may cause a chilling effect on 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 the the grievances that are filed. Let, let's. But first, let me back up. That we obviously, if somebody is filed, somebody has a grievance filed against them, those grievances have to, should be taken very seriously. The, the The biggest reason why those grievances are granted are well, the the, the biggest reason why people people have a grievance filed against them is because they're not answering their calls, they're not answering their emails or, or whatever how, whatever contact they have with their lawyer. The biggest reason why that grievance may get granted is because that same lawyer doesn't respond to the grievance committee. So there needs to be some procedure. To, I don't want Texas lawyers losing their ability to practice. If they're not answering calls for, for their clients and then and additionally not responding to the grievance committee, there might be some underlying problem. So I'm in favor of having some kind of a, a program where, where we have a program right now where if somebody's the, the client's filing a grievance. There's a program there to assist them with the process. We need something like that for lawyers that are going through the process because it can be a complicated process. But the the question relating to to um, uh, the increasing the standard that's actually been considered the you know it's it's sort of whether or not uh, a grievance issue is is a is is quasi criminal and and so it, there's a case out of the 5th circuit called Polk or state bar of Texas that said classifying a minor disciplinary sanction as a quasi criminal nature did, did, that didn't make any sense um and so that's related to the issue that you've asked I'm not. I would not be in favor of of increasing the standard to a clear and, and convincing standard. Uh, I do think that we need to be exact and exacting in this process. I do think that we need to have, make sure that Texas lawyers have the assistance that they need. Um, and, and if there is a, a grievance against them, but I would not be in favor of, of uh, increasing the standard. 
Cindy, how about you? I'm not in favor of increasing the standard. Short answer. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, I know you just answer the question asked. That's what we tell our, our clients and our witnesses, right? Um, <laughs> You've but, not been sworn in, so I don't know. I, I feel like I need to admit her an oath. <laughs> but you know, honestly, the system works. The system works as it is. I don't also. I don't want there to be a chilling effect on on grievances. Let's look at, you know, part of the state bar's mission is to protect the public also. If, but if you look at the grievances, um, you know, I'm on the Board of Disciplinary Appeals right now. Last year, there were a little more than 7,000 grievances filed. Of those, only about 27% were upgraded. So that's about 70% were dismissed outright on a preponderance of evidence. Um you know, once uh, it is dismissed by the CDC, of course, a complainant can then appeal that uh, to BOTA. And last year, about a little over 20% was upgraded and, or I'm sorry, they they appealed it. And of those, uh, BOTA only um, sent back or reversed 8%. If you look at all those numbers, what that tells me is the system is working. The system is working at preponderance of the evidence. The system is working with our current system of how they file grievances and how the public files grievances. And I think if we try to up that standard to, to beyond a reasonable doubt or anything clear and convincing evidence, I don't want, I also don't want to have a chilling effect to where we're not protecting the public and not doing that arm of our mission statement. So, so let's maybe talk about a related topic, and that has to do with, with the actual ethics itself, right? So there's there's the grievances, but then before you get to the grievance stage, you want to make sure that as a lawyer, you're doing everything correctly. And, you know, one of our participants has complimented the State Bar Ethics Hotline, and, and I concur. It's an excellent service. So Cindy, let's let's start with you. Could you tell us if you would, as president, would you expand that program? Would you increase its efforts? How would you, would you do more to publicize it to lawyers, especially new lawyers? So let's maybe start with you, Cindy, and then Joe, give you a chance to weigh in on that as well. Well, I have to say, I might be on BOTA and I've been on the local grievance committee. I've I've served in several positions. I still use the grievance hotline. I, and I do, I, I, I do quite often, to be honest with you, because you know, I sit there and I read the rules and I read the opinions. I read everything else. And as attorneys, we get inside our head a little bit too much. And I want just another opinion. Of course, the grievance hotline does not give you an answer, but they guide you. They show you the rules. You get to go through, make sure you're not missing anything. Um, I think it's an excellent, excellent opportunity for lawyers if they have questions about a conflict of interest, let's say, just for example, that the the hotline can guide them through that. Should it be expanded? Um, I am in favor of being expanded. Honestly, to be to be perfectly honest, I need to look at the numbers. How many calls do we get? How uh, how long does it take for a call back? Because usually you call, you leave a message, and you get a call back usually within a day. Um, is there a need to expand? Add more people to that? Uh, about getting the word out to other lawyers? Absolutely. You know. I, I can't say for sure that the grievances would go down if more people and more attorneys knew about the hotline, but it could it save a few attorneys from a grievance? It very well may. Is it something we can put um, the grievance hotline phone number at the beginning of every CLE just to put it up there so people know about it? That doesn't cost the bar anything to do, and it might get the word out. So I think it's something to look into. Joe, how about you? What do you think about this about this particular topic? I think it's an excellent service that's provided by our bar uh, to to our lawyers. And the as far as expanding it, the, the only the only complaint that I've heard about it recently is that there is there seems to be a little perhaps a little, and maybe pandemic related. I would have to I would have to study it. But the the complaint I heard recently from a number of lawyers was that there was a little bit of a lag in the response. But so so perhaps we need to look at that. Do we need to get more people involved in it or get working on that? We need to look at that. We definitely need to publicize it more. Uh, I, I've used it. Uh, my partner uses it and, and friends of mine use it. But but we need to publicize it more. And I, ha- I have seen it, Cindy offered it. I have seen it publicized in CLEs, but we need to we needed to be more more Texas lawyers need to know about it. So as far as expanding it, I would be in favor of that. 
if this if we find out if we study it and we find out that there is a a a, a lag and uh, or an unreasonable lag um, in the response time, uh, that to me everyone else that is that that I know that has used it has been has given it very high marks. The only complaints that I've heard about it recently is that the response time seems to have gotten longer. Again, I, 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 I'll be honest, I have not looked at if that has perhaps been caused by, 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 by COVID. I know obviously the bar staff, a lot of, a lot of them were remote for, uh, uh, maybe some of them still are. I understand. But as far as expanding it, I, I definitely would, especially if we, we study it and we find out that um, the response times are, could be a little bit improved. It is a wonderful program. And I think all Texas lawyers should, should at one point in time, if they ever need it, it's there. And I, and I do think that it would, it, it would save lawyers from potential grievance if they just use that, that service. Perfect. Now, Joe, let's, let's go back to a topic you've both talked about earlier, and that is access to justice. We've touched a little bit on it, but Let's talk about specifics. What do you think the state bar and individual lawyers can do to ensure access to justice for all Texans? And perhaps as a predicate, why is access to justice important? Why should we as lawyers care? So why is it important? What can we do about it? Well, it's important because, you, you know, we're, we're besides obviously protecting lawyers, we're, we're, we, we're supposed to be protecting the public. And the reality of it is it's just there are, there's an increasing amount of lawyer, I mean, I'm sorry, of, of, of the public that cannot afford to hire a lawyer. So the, 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 the problem has changed recently. Uh, the, the used to be, we need to get, we need to encourage lawyers to, to, to do pro bono work. And we still do. And I, and I, and I mean, encourage with there, you're not going to hear anything from me as far as bar mandates of, of, of pro bonos, pro bono hours, but we need to encourage that. I mean, large law firms, encourage their their lawyers and perhaps even mandate but that's a different thing they can do that so we need to encourage lawyers to do pro bono work but the other thing that we need to to to, to note is that we need to that is the problem has changed a little bit we we now have the the non-represented litigant that that just is is, is finds itself in the court system and i see them all the time when i especially in the era of zoom hearings and there, there they are, and and they they don't know what they're doing. Obviously, they're not lawyers, and, and they're not represented. And and the the system comes down to to slows down. So we need to figure out what's the best way to deal with a non-represented litigant. It's a fine line. I I, I am not in favor of of basically taking business from Texas lawyers who are having a hard time as it is, um, and and to to come up with some kind of forms or uh, to just be able to solve the problem. It's, we have to study the problem. It is a fine line. Uh, the bar should not be taking business away from Texas lawyers. But, but the, we, it is important to note that the problem has changed recently. It's not so much we, we just need to encourage lawyers to do pro bono work. There aren't enough lawyers to do all this pro bono work. That we just, there's so many non-represented litigants now. It's important to me on a personal level because I have seen growing up the way I grew up, uh, what can happen? Uh, what you know when those with those in power can uh, take advantage of those that have none, and so on a personal note, it's very important to me uh, that that uh, poor people in Texas have access to justice, and and we need to figure out how to deal with this. The fact that the problem is changing a little has changed. It's not so much we just need to encourage pro bono, which we always we need to do that. We always need to continue to do that. We need to figure out how to deal with the just the, the the increasing numbers of non-represented litigants that are in the system right now and are and are having an impact on 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 the court system because they just they just don't know what they don't know what they're doing. Obviously, they're not lawyers, so it's it's something that's very important to me. But but that one issue, we need to study it and do something about it. Cindy, how about you? What do you think we can do as a state? Well, first of all, why is it important? Or is it important, and why is it important? And then what can we as a state bar and we as individual lawyers do about the issue of access to justice? Please give us your thoughts as well. Absolutely. Thank you, Rocky. Uh, you know, we have to make sure we understand and maintain the difference in self-represented litigants. There are those self-represented litigants that are indigent and can't afford attorneys. And there's a whole nother aspect of uh, self-represented litigants that can afford attorney. They just choose not to hire one. And so 
All I'm going to be talking about are the indigent, self-represented, self-represented litigants. Um, because if, you know, you know what they say about an attorney who represents himself, right? He has a fool for a client. Um, and it's kind of the same thing. If you can afford attorney, an attorney and choose not to do so, I'm, I'm not here to help you. That's not my job. If you cannot afford an attorney, I don't agree with putting a form in front of them and having them fill it out with no legal representation as to what it means. What is a joint managing conservatorship versus a sole managing conservatorship? What is, you know, those types of issues. If you look at what the state bar has done, uh, you know, pro, the, uh, probonotexas.org is a website that the state bar has set up. And basically what it does is you can take a pro bono case through that probonotexas.org. And guess what? You get free malpractice insurance if you take it through probonotexas.org, through your local legal, legal service provider. Um, and that's tremendous because I know a lot of attorneys, well, and me, I do a lot of, I do pro bono work. Is that a concern that then my client's going to come back and sue me for malpractice or file a grievance or do whatever? Of course it is. Um, you take a case through that and you get your free malpractice insurance. As an attorney, and I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again, it's up to each individual attorney, but I think part of our mandate as lawyers is to help our community. And one thing the family law section has done that I am so proud of, and I was chair of this committee, we have a pro pro bono CLE committee. What we do is we go throughout Texas and put on CLEs throughout the year. And if you take the C, it's a full day of CLE and it's free. You get free CLE in return for taking two pro bono cases through your legal uh, legal aid service provider. Period. We have we have placed thousands of indigent litigants that need help with attorneys to help them, and uh, that has been an amazing thing. I would love to see the bar expand on that a little bit, um, and I'm not. Trust me, I'm not saying the bar should be doing that and giving away all CLE, but I'm saying, could we expand on that a little bit and say, okay, if you're willing to take these cases and represent indigent litigants, then the bar will help you out in some way uh, in doing that. Um, I think it's something that needs to be looked at, but I'm very proud of the family law section um, uh, for doing that. And I think it's something that the bar can look at and see if they can try to expand on our help in the future. Absolutely. Now, you know, I, I got to give a shout out to all of our participants. They're asking some fantastic questions. I had a bunch of, I had a bunch of oddball questions I was going to ask, and they're asking some actual, really substantive ones. So, congratulations to both of you for getting an opportunity to address some some real life questions from some from some actual participants. This next one, I think, is an excellent question, and it has to do it has to do really with looking to the future of where law practice is. Some states have been toying with this idea, experimenting with letting paralegals maybe do certain types of representation or letting out-of-state lawyers come in and represent to some degree. Do you believe it's important to maintain the current rules that allow only Texas-licensed lawyers to represent parties, or do we need to open that up, either to non-lawyers, paralegals, or lawyers out-of-state? So, Cindy, let's start with you on that question. You asked kind of two questions as to the first one. Should we keep our same, our rules that only Texas attorneys should represent Texas people? Absolutely. I am not a fan. I'm not in support of allowing non-attorneys or paralegals or anybody else to do legal work. Um, you know, we went to law school for, for three years or, or more or whatever it happened to be to learn the laws. So, okay, this paralegal is going to come in and do my job and take away money from Texas lawyers and take away our business and not really know what what they're doing. They may know kind of the basics. Here's how you calculate child support. This is how you do this. They can't give legal advice. And that's what people need when they're in the middle of litigation is legal advice. I am not a fan. I am not in support of expanding that rule and allowing non-lawyers or paralegals to take jobs and business away from Texas lawyers. And I also think that would really harm the public and allowing non-lawyers to represent them. Okay, fair enough. Cindy, that was that was your response. Joe, what is your view on that same question? Absolutely. It's, it's, I hate to say that it's the same, but it's the same. I mean, I, I mean, it, that's a very sound view. Uh, I'm a very, I'm a proud member of the American Board of Trial Advocates and it is taken, it is taken, a boda and Texabota is taken a very clear 
view on this. Uh, you, you know, we're, it, it, to, quote, to quote Grumpy, uh, we're again it. Uh, it's just not sound policy. Uh, and and it, we uh, we go to law school. We went. We we get our education. And we have all, we have this experience, and that's just the way it should be. The, the system works really well right now. There are other underlying reasons, or, or there's some underlying um, factors that 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 are that's driving that policy of allowing non-lawyers to uh, to practice law, or, or allowing non-lawyers to invest in in Texas law firms, uh, and and you're seeing it in other states. Uh, I would not be. I am not in favor. Of seeing this in, the, in this state, I think that only Texas lawyers should represent uh, clients in the state, um, and so I would definitely come out uh, as against that uh, that proposition. I think looking at the time, we have time for maybe one more question, and on this one, it's a big question, but I'm gonna I might be a little bit tougher in terms of just kind of keeping the time low, so we can make sure we stay within the promised one hour. So if I cut you off, no offense, candidates. When you're wielding all that power as president, please don't get mad. I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> Joe, we're going to start with you on this one. In your opinion, what do you think, you know, we talked about a number of issues today during this during this hour-long panel, but what do you think is the most important issue facing the Texas legal community that we haven't mentioned, that we haven't talked about, and that you think ought to be talked about? So, Joe, let's start with you. Okay, well... It's certainly been implied, uh, but I think the biggest, but the, the biggest issue that's facing the Texas lawyers hasn't been uh, specifically addressed. It's just apathy. They're 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 just an, uh, they're they're just an, they're they're just not interested in in the bar. I do a lot of mediations, and and I just informal polls very in, during the mediations, and I ask lawyers, I take do you. Do you participate in state bar elections? And like, I can do that? Yeah, you can. You kind of can. It's easy. They, they send you an email. I said I said last yesterday, and we were in the Lubbock Area Bar Association, I said, it, it takes you longer, at least it takes me longer, to do my daily wordle, wordle than it does to vote for a president-elect of the state bar. And I, we just need to get lawyer, Texas lawyers engaged. The, the bar provides them wonderful resources, and it provides them a, an opportunity to meet lawyers from throughout the state. It results in work. I promise you, it, 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 it does. It might not be immediate, but it results in work. And besides that, you just get to make friends all over the state of Texas. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I think everyone can tell that I love Texas lawyers. I love, I love lawyers in general. I love talking lawyers. 99% of my friends are lawyers. So I think with the, one of the biggest problems that we have uh, that's facing the Texas lawyers that we need to deal with is we need to deal to get them involved. Okay, so apathy is is Joe's answer to that question. I just don't know that I care enough about apathy. I'm kidding. Those are Joe. <laughs> right. Cindy, well, what is know, what is your answer? My answer, you know, something that's facing Texas lawyers that we haven't talked about, but I think it's it's the elephant in the room is our mental health. Um, you know, our attorney's mental health, um, addictions, things of that sort. We have a great program in TLAP. And I, I wish every attorney knew about it. I wish every attorney knew that even if they could not afford rehab, that there's a trust available with funds for to, to pay for them. But especially coming out of this pandemic, and I don't know about all of you watching and listening, but being self-isolated was tough. It was tough on me. It was tough on just about everybody I knew. And with attorneys, you know, we have such a high incident of, of suicide and, and addiction and alcoholism. And because this is a tough job we do, you know, and we live other people's problems and other people's lives all day. And then trying to leave that at the office is tough. And I, I would really like to concentrate more on helping lawyers um, especially coming out of this pandemic, to to recognize and and help their mental health if they have addictions, things of that sort. But that's that's something I see facing our profession that we haven't talked about that I think is very very important. Okay, so mental health, ladies and gentlemen, you know I I told you this would not be an easy choice. Th these are two fantastic candidates. They're supremely qualified, and I'm sure we could talk for much longer, but I'm looking at the time, and unfortunately, our time today has come to an end. So I'd like to thank the two candidates for their participation. You guys are you guys have been absolutely amazing. I'm looking forward to either one of you 
ascending the throne and, and leading <laughs> us. And, and to all the participants, all the participants, you guys have been great. Those of you who have been posting questions, you guys are rock stars. Thank you all. The second virtual candidate forum is scheduled. It's going to be noon central time on April 5th. We encourage you to attend that as well. You can register at texasbar.com forward slash election. And as a reminder, voting in the state bar and TYLA elections begins on April 1st and ends on May 2nd. No excuses. You got over a month. Attorneys may vote using a paper ballot or an electronic ballot. Be sure to check your junk folder in your email because sometimes that e-ballot can get caught up in your junk mail folder. And again, I want to thank you for tuning in and encourage you to stay safe and be well. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember, life's a journey, folks. I'm Rocky Deer, signing off. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Go to TexasBar.com slash podcasts. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find both the State Bar of Texas and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the State Bar of Texas, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. <laughs>